obviously within your head. And I am so excited today about our guest. Thank you, Erin, so much for joining us. And I'm so excited because you're a certified integrative nutrition coach and self-proclaimed nutrition nerd. I can identify with that, except <laughs> I can it from the brain nerd category. But you started off, you taught middle school English for 11 years, and then you started pursuing your wellness business full-time. And that's hard because you're a mom with three active kids, the owner of the nutrition coaching company, Sparking Wholeness, and you have your own podcast, Sparking Wholeness. So, you know, you got into this nutrition, uh, you were kind enough to share a little bit that you were a survivor of, of bipolar disorder, and you learned firsthand how suffering from a chronic illness can really infiltrate every area of life. And I think it's so great that you want people to be their own health advocate in order for them to find holistic health, because you know it comes from the body, the mind, and the soul. And you think nutrition, and I agree, provides the basis for that. Yes, I definitely do. Thank you for having on the show, having me on the show, by the way. I really appreciate it. I'm excited about this. But yeah, I definitely think that um, what we feed our body impacts our digestion, which impacts our mental health, which impacts uh, how we feed our body. <laughs> it's, a, it's a circular process. Well, you know, you're right. Studies have been showing us for years that the food we eat affects the chemical composition of our brain, and that alters our mood. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I and it's so interesting because there a lot of the studies we didn't know until 20 years ago maybe, maybe a little bit more than that on the gut brain connection and you know, there are a lot of studies that talk about the vagus nerve and how there's a vagus nerve, it's the 10th cranial nerve, it connects our brain to our gut and it really um impacts the way we relax, it impacts the way we chill <laughs> or if we don't. And a lot of times if we are continuing to put food in our body that is not nourishing to our body and there aren't enough nutrients for our gut to break that down or our gut has some, you know, micro microbial disturbances where it can't utilize the nutrients in the food, then we're not going to be able to make those neurotransmitters that are needed for improved mental health. I mean, it, it's crazy the information that is out there that has been coming out in recent years. And it, it's exciting, you know, because the brain has always been a mystery, but now adding this piece in, you know, like you said, you're a brain nerd. Um, I'm a nutrition nerd. I think all those things are connected and, it, and it's so great to dive into that. Well, I've heard the gut referred to as a second brain. Um, yes, I have too. And I, when I first heard that, you know, just a little background on me, I was diagnosed with depression when I was 14, diagnosed with bipolar at 18. And I was told it's a chemical imbalance. You're going to be on meds for the rest of your life. This is just how it is. Get used to it, get over it. And okay, that's fine. And, and you know, there are lots of chronic illnesses out there. I can deal whatever. But when I learned about the gut being the second brain and that if there is, you know, despite what they would call dysbiosis when there's an overgrowth of bad bacteria in the gut, or maybe there's not enough good bacteria because of the overuse of antibiotics or the overuse of processed foods. And, um, even, you know, there's even antibiotics in our food, in our, in our animal products. And so when, uh, when that happens, it, we, it creates dysbiosis and that can definitely impact mental functioning. And so finding that out for me was really helpful because I thought, you know, I can't control everything, but I can control what I put in my mouth. You know, like that's an aspect that if, if that's something that could help me nutrition wise, that I'm going to go for it. And I started that journey. I mean, it's been a little over a decade making small changes here and there. And I can tell you that I have not had a serious episode in over a decade and I haven't had, you know, I have here and there, I, I will feel a little bit of hypomania or I will maybe have a little bit of a depression, but nowhere near the extremes that I used to face before I started working on my nutrition and movement and, um, regulating my sleep. You know, there are a lot of things that I've integrated, but, um, definitely nutrition was a missing piece for a long time. Oh, you, you make a very good point. There's a lot of lifestyle factors that we have to consider, but it starts with diet, exercise, social, emotional connection, yes. stress, and we're all experiencing stress. Mm -hmm. And it, sleep, 
And that in, all of that impacts our gut issues, and that leads to medical issues. And when I say medical, I, mental health is just as important to me as physical health. Absolutely. I totally agree. Yeah. Well, you brought up the you brought up the point that nutrition really affects. I mean, it affects everything. How alert we are, and how we produce those neurotransmitters. And neurotransmitters are the chemical messengers that carry information from one nerve to another. And I talk about this in my book, "Turn Your Brain On to Get Your Game On." That I mean, the guts, the guts brain is where you make serotonin. We all know that that's the master of happiness, serotonin. And dopamine, what a feel-good neurotransmitter. So if we're not feeding the gut right, it's going to have a hard time making those neurotransmitters. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, one of my favorite ways that I encourage clients that I work with to start feeding their gut is by adding in vegetables, at least five different vegetables a day, because vegetables are filled with prebiotic bacteria, which kind of acts as, um, I guess like a miracle grow for the good bacteria that we want. It causes it to flourish. And that's what we really need in order to produce the feel good stuff. And so I really encourage people to start with vegetables. You know, you don't have to go super extreme but small things here and there, those leafy green vegetables, those are absolutely essential for mental health because they have a lot of folate. And I, I think variety, color variety, all the different colors have different phytonutrients that are beneficial for different parts of the body. So just starting off slowly with veggies, that's my number one uh, because of the way that they impact our digestion and they impact our, our feel-good neurotransmitters for sure. We know, I've always heard, stay away from the whites. If it's white flour, white bread, white rice, stay away from it. And that's actually one of the first changes I made to my diet was to try mm. to put distance between myself and the whites. Yep. Yeah, but not white cauliflower. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. I can't tell you how many times people ask me, well, what do you recommend for diet? Because there's so much out there. It can be overwhelming. You know, what's the best diet? Is it paleo? Is it Mediterranean? Mm -hmm. And what? how would you answer that question? I don't believe that there is a one-size-fits-all as far as diets go. I think that... Um, you know, depending on genetics, depending on, I mean, there are a whole lot of different things that factor in what is best, but the Mediterranean diet, I will say has been the only diet that's ever been studied. And I'm sure you know about this too. There's a, a study called the smile study. I think it was New Zealand or Australia, somewhere out there, um, where they found that it made an extreme difference in a moderate to severe depression and even more so than some of the medication that, that patients were on. And it was, and it was a randomized, you know, double blind placebo controlled study, which is really, really hard to do for nutrition. And that's why they don't have a lot of them because people, we change, we, there are a lot of variables involved. Um, but that one has been shown to be really beneficial. And so, but with the Mediterranean diet, I don't think it's that complicated. It's eating a lot of leafy greens, a lot of good veggies, um, you know, quality protein, maybe so if your body can tolerate it, not everybody can tolerate legumes, but maybe some legumes, nuts and seeds, you know, basically if it, how I like to think of it, if it grew from the ground, if it had a mom, <laughs> it's, it's going to be good for your body because that's what our body recognizes as food. There are a lot of things that have changed with food in the last, gosh, hundred years, maybe, you know, wheat is not wheat anymore. It has been altered so many times that so many people, their bodies are going on the attack because they don't recognize it as a food and not to mention it's um, enriched with synthetic folic acid, which can be really difficult for some people like me to process because I have a gene mutation called MTHFR, which makes it really hard for my body to convert folic acid to folate or even absorb folate to begin with. So 
we have a lot of things working against us and we've got the advertisements. We have these food companies that are paying millions of dollars to make our food addicting. And so, you know, I think giving grace to people and going, it's not your fault. The food was designed to make you want it. You know, I, I think that's another thing that's so important is our mindset about food can, can play a major role in how we digest as well. Cause as you know, negative mindset is going to lead to a lot of negative health outcomes in the body. Body. And if you have a positive mindset toward what you're eating and, and, you know, you're a little bit more, um, careful about how you talk to yourself about what you're eating, it's going to make more of a difference in your body. And I, I think that that's important as well. Well, I think you hit on a key point and that is we have, we, each of us has a relationship with food mm. and it goes, some of it is from our culture and some of it, you know, my comfort food, if you grow up, Eating a certain, if you grew up eating that fried chicken on every Sunday and it made everybody feel so good, you get it in your head. I can't give up my fried chicken on Sunday. Well, guess mm -hmm. what? Yes, you can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's really true. I mean, you know, we can retrain our brain on anything, right? And for some people, when we are lacking, when there's a dopamine dysregulation, I think a lot of times we turn to those comfort foods more than other people. And because we're looking for that that high that food gives us, because it does. It, and sugar, same thing. I used to be the biggest sugar addict. I mean, from a very young age, I the sweetest frosting in the world would not deter me from eating it. And now it's so funny. I've really retrained my taste buds. And now there are some things I just can't have at all because I know I feel that buzz in my brain and I, I feel like I've lost some energy. It's, it's not good. And so it's just not worth it. There are some things that are worth it. Dark chocolate. Oh man, I love dark chocolate. That is one of my favorite things. One of my favorite treats that I have. And it's also, you know, there, there are a lot of good benefits to dark chocolate too, but the things that I used to love since I've been on this journey and I've retrained my body and I've worked on my gut health, that's been a big part of it. If going back to the gut health aspect, if you have, um, an overgrowth of the bad stuff, the bad bacteria, it can make cravings worse because it feeds off of the carbs and the sugar and all of those foods that are a lot more easy to consume in mass amounts. I mean, nobody, you know, is binging on chicken, you know, like I know fried chicken, different story, but I'm talking about like chicken breast or a steak. Like it's really hard to overeat protein because protein is so satiating, but some of those other things they're not. And so, yeah, it's, it's a tough, it's a really tough battle for people. It, I, I, I know what it's like. I've been there for many years. And so I have a lot of empathy for people when they're like, I just can't quit sugar. And I'm like, I get it. I know it feels that way right now, but I know you can get past it too. Well, and you make a good point that not everybody can quit sugar, but you can make good choices with sugar. Choose dark chocolate. I mean, not all chocolate is good for you, but dark chocolate, even Harvard Health has talked about it. There are some yeah. health benefits for your heart and your eyes and your brain. Um, and, you know, we celebrate. We've, we have Valentine's Day. We have Halloween. We have Easter. We have Christmas. So sweets are part of our yearly schedule. We just have to think about how do we make those healthy. You know, dark chocolate's rich in iron and dietary copper and magnesium and zinc and all kinds of good things. Yeah, yes, exactly. And and I think what's so interesting too is, you know, we we often talk about cold and flu season, but what we don't factor into account is that it's also the sugar and stress season. <laughs> when you when you take Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, you put them all together and everybody's getting massive amounts of sugar, way more than usual, and we're more stressed than usual because there's a lot going on. That can really deplete the immune system. And you know, I think what was the study it's about sugar. When you consume sugar, it suppresses your immune system for four or five hours, you know, some, something along those lines. So I always think about that during holiday season when, with my kids, you know, they've got, oh, this Christmas party in the morning, this Christmas, and they're getting all the sugar. And I'm like, oh man, their bodies are open for attack for, <laughs> for the rest of the day. Um, but yeah, because there, there are a lot of things about the overconsumption that, that can cause problems in our bodies and seasonal depression. I'm really prone to seasonal depression around 
December. And December is the time where we have more sweets, more parties with more alcohol, which can also, you know, have depressive factors. You know, th- there are a lot of things that that we don't always think that nutrition can play a role in, but it does. It really affects so much more than we think. And I, and I love your explanation of dark chocolate. Um, it's also a really powerful antioxidant as well, which we so need for our brain health. But yeah, you you nailed it with that. There, there are lots of great benefits for sure. Well, I took a little cheat. I read that from my book. <laughs> well, your book is a really good resource. I love it. So I think that's I think that's a good cheat. Well, tell me a little bit, you know, what really I think heightened people's awareness to nutrition is all the gluten sensitivity. And the last, I mean, I've heard stories of people with celiac disease and just getting gluten out of their diet changed their life. Yeah, it's super interesting. You know, I did some genetic study on myself and I I have the gene for celiac and that in itself is enough for me to go, okay, we're going to hold off on the gluten, you know, Uh, because I know how genes work and you can change the expression of your genes with lifestyle factors. And so I, I just think that that's probably more beneficial for me to stay away. But it's so interesting. I don't think that and I don't know for sure. I know celiac was uh, has been around for a long time, but not to the extent that it has been recently. And for sure, gluten si- sensitivity hasn't been around as as much as recently. And it, I think it really changed when wheat was stripped of the nutrients that make it beneficial and we just took the part that uh, the part of the wheat that is not as beneficial, but it makes everything taste better and it makes it smooth and it makes it palatable. And it's, and then they mutated it, you know, they, they made the wheat crops bigger. They sprayed it, you know, and there's a lot of debate over, is it the pesticides that was sprayed on the wheat or is it the wheat? And at this point it doesn't really matter because it's been going on for so long. You know, I was talking to somebody earlier today. It's really hard. Our bodies are very adaptable. The human body is amazing and we can adapt to a lot, but there have been so many changes in food the last hundred years that I think it's really hard for our bodies to adapt to those changes, to the processing and to all the additives and the pesticides. And so much is going on and going into our body that our bodies are like, wait, I don't recognize this. So I'm going to let you know that something is going on. And so that's why we have the digestive systems, uh, symptoms, you know, that's why we have the sensitivities and that can show up in skin issues. It can show up in digestive disturbances for sure, but even a lot of migraine headaches, different um, headaches that people will have can have to do with a food sensitivity. And there are awesome ways to test for food sensitivities now, but usually the best way to test for a food sensitivity is to do an elimination diet and take out some of these most common triggers and see what happens when you add them back in. And I don't have a gluten sensitivity, but I will say when I do have it, I don't feel great with it. And so that's for me, that's a choice that I've made that in my family, we just don't have it. So that gluten, dairy, soy, those are the the biggest ones right now that are triggering a lot of issues in people, especially people with autoimmune conditions. And, you know, sometimes I consider my mental illness an autoimmune condition. I know it's not. And, you know, don't quote me on that. I'm not saying <laughs> it is, but it's definitely, there's a dysfunction in my body where my body's kind of attacking itself in a sense. So, um, and it, it is, there's a lot of it that's gut related. So yeah, I, there, a lot of sensitivities out there and it's the way the food is processed, the way it's been genetically modified that our bodies just don't know what to do. Well, you make a good point and that is your mental well-being is directly linked to your physical well-being. And if you're, you know, if you are experiencing some something on an emotional level, it is going to impact you on a physical level. So mental and and physical, they're directly linked. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sorry, what were you saying? I was just going to say no, no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, So the latest thing that everybody's been talking about is fasting. Mm -hmm. And I've read some good stuff on fasting. And and I think, you know, and it kind of plays into your philosophy. And that is you got to figure out what works for you. You've got to be your own health advocate. Yeah. Um, what do you have an opinion on fasting? 
I have a lot of opinions and some of them contradict each other. So bear with me. <laughs> but um, yeah, th there is a lot of information out there. You know, recently I've been finding that most of the studies on fasting, when we're talking about like intermittent fasting, it, they, the studies are done on men or postmenopausal women. So it doesn't always account for female hormones um, and reproductive hormones. And sometimes in some women, depending on what they have going on, if they go too extreme, in intermittent fasting, then their bodies think that or interpret that to be a famine. And what does your body do when, when it thinks that we're in famine, our bodies will say, Oh, I need to store some fat. So for some women, it can backfire because they're constantly putting their bodies in famine states. So their bodies are going, Oh no, cue the fat storage. And that can be detrimental. But I think everybody can benefit from taking a, a break for 12 hours from food. It's important for brain health to clean out the brain. It's important to di for digestive health to detoxify the body and to help the liver out a little bit. And that's how things used to be for ages. And again, we have so much food everywhere at all times. Our guts don't have a chance to take a break. And there's a thing in our, our gut, in our, in our intestines called the migrating motor complex. And that is the internal gut housekeeper. And it needs a good three to five hours between meals to do some cleanup. And it needs that time. And so how much better is it for it to have a good 12 hours overnight? So some people would say 12-hour fast to 16-hour fast is optimal. Uh, 16 for some women, if, if there are thyroid concerns, you know, if there are autoimmune conditions at play, that might be too far. For men, you know, men have it easier than us in a lot of ways. They don't have to worry about all the reproductive hormones. They've just got testosterone and cortisol. And so they can go a little bit longer and... I mean, I know, I know a lot of male friends who will be like, oh, I've, I've been intermittent fasting and I've lost 20 pounds. And I'm like, wow, must be nice. It, do, it doesn't always work that way for women. We have a lot of other things going on. And so that's why I say my, I can kind of contradict myself. I practice intermittent fasting, and, but I also listen to my body. I listen to where I am in my cycle. I listen to, um, there's there's a hormone expert that I, I have her book. It's called in the flow. And that really kind of helps me to know at which stage of my cycle intermittent fasting is better for me at which stage, maybe I, I need to taper off a little bit, but even for, you know, for brain health, my, both of my, um, dad's parents had Alzheimer's. And so I'm on high alert for Alzheimer's prevention. And I know for sure that intermittent fasting can improve brain function for people who are experiencing mild cognitive decline. And so I definitely, I, I practice intermittent fasting, uh, for the most part, depending on where I am. And I always listen to my body. If, if I'm hungry or feeling lightheaded or dizzy, or if I've done a hardcore workout, I make sure to nourish myself with something. So that's, that's my spin on it. Well, I think you make a good, a good point there. And that is listen to your body. And that's kind of the same advice I give is, is listen to what your feet, listen to your subconscious, because yeah. we all try to operate from that conscious level because we are in control there. And we like that, but this is a true fact. Every second, your brain is capable of taking in 11 million bits of data. On the conscious mm. level, the most your brain can process is 40. The rest goes to your subconscious level. And I always used to tell my kids when they were little, listen to your gut, listen to your gut. You know, if you, if, you know how when you start to feel a little nervous, you may start to feel a little nauseous, um, or if you're, you're, somebody's trying to get you to do something and you're kind of feeling in your gut, mm, I don't think I should do that. That's your subconscious. Yeah. And it's important to, going back to your point, listen to your body. Because our body and our brain, it, you've got the central nervous system is your brain, the autonomic nervous system is the rest of your body, and the brain tells the autonomic nervous system what to do. Yes. Yeah. And for, and that's so, you know, but I think a lot of people <laughs> just because your, your, your gut is telling you, you need ice cream doesn't always mean that you need ice cream. <laughs> no, I think, I don't think that's your gut. 
I think you're, that's something else. You know, and it's interesting because you think about the heart brain connection, mm. um, because a lot of our, a lot of our comfort foods or our reward foods come from emotions. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, I know for me, I could eat soup every day. I don't know why, but soup makes me feel safe and warm and it can be really healthy soup. Um, or it can be, you know, lobster bisque. I can go for some of that too, (laughs) but there's that, that heart emotion connection to our, that I think impacts our, our gut too. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. I, I think that we all need to be more aware of those things and dig into those things. Yeah. I think that's great. You know, I always thought it was so interesting because you know, when you think about when you're an embryo and you're developing, the heart starts forming on day 18. The brain starts forming on day 30. But after that, it's that brain and heart working together to keep that little baby alive. Wow. That's in the heart's first. That's super fascinating. Huh. Yeah. I love that. And, and we know how important eating a healthy diet is to heart health and you brought up genetics earlier and I think that's something that we all have to respect if heart health is an issue in our family it's probably going to be an issue for you too yeah yeah definitely yeah and and there's and there's so much gosh they're all they're always doing so much studying and research on that and there's always a lot of debate on you know what's below that but i think that being aware i think it's important to do genetic testing too and to look into your family history and knowing okay what am i up against and what what can i do to start rewriting the script that's kind of how that's my take on it that's what i've been working on for sure well i think you know keeping your heart and your brain in sync well that comes you know that'll help you manage your cholesterol manage your blood sugar your blood pressure and help you man- have a healthy weight yeah. And, and I, is that, I mean, that has to do with the stress too, and how we manage our stress, because I know for sure there is a link between blood pressure and stress, you know, and a lot of these inflammatory conditions that we suffer from have to do with stress. So yeah, that's, that's a major point it to is, connect those two. You know, I never knew this, but your heart contains more than 40,000 neurons and neurotransmitters. So really it's just an extension of the same network that's inside your brain. Wow. Wow. That's fascinating. I love that. That makes, yeah. So that, you know, that heart and that gut, I'm beginning to wonder how many brains do we have? (laughs) I know the gut is the second one, but what about the heart? Yeah. Yeah. uh, It's so true. And it also tells us we have so many signals to let us know when something is off, but the majority of us are not listening. You know, does anybody know how to manage their stress? We don't teach that. We, we teach how to brush teeth. We teach how to wash hands, but we don't always teach how to be aware of and to manage our stress. And that's something that I'm super passionate about with, with my clients is like, Hey, we need, let's dig into the stressors and, and be present and be aware. Well, you, you know, you're right. It all starts with being aware and what is stressing you out? Because today we could say just life, everything. What doesn't stress me out? But in reality, there's some goodness going on and we need to really slow down and think about what is stressing us out. Because is it what we can't control or is it how we, re- we react to that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think we there's more power in our reactions than we know. There's yeah, I think a lot of the things that we think we can't control, we can definitely change our response to. Well, I think that we can change our response, but we have to slow down and we'll talk a little bit more about this, but breathing as basic as it is, one of the best ways to slow your heart rate down is to slow your breathing down. And if you can slow your breathing down and you can slow your heart rate down, you get those two to dance together, you create heart rate variability, and that is a state of wellness.
Do you struggle with knowing the right food for your lifestyle? Is there really a one right way to eat? As a chronic dieter, I was always so confused by the food rules and the fad diets. Where to even start? That's why I decided to go into health coaching. As your health coach, I will help you find the solution that is right for you. I will help you find balance. Unlike most dietitians and nutritionists, I focus on a whole person approach, not just food. I address stress, sleep patterns, underlying root issues, and so many other contributing factors to health. And as a mental illness survivor, I love talking about ways to fire up brain health. If you're interested in learning more and maybe even a complimentary consultation, contact me at www.sparkingwholeness.com or message me on Instagram through the handle sparkingwholeness. And now let's get back to the show. You know, Erin, we know that stress is part of our everyday life, and sometimes we handle it better than others. And what's amazing to me is I always talk to my clients about breathing, and that is so hard for people to do. How do you integrate breathing into the work that you do? Oh, I, breathing is absolutely instrumental in, in everything that I do. And part of that comes from, I started practicing yoga regularly about, gosh, four years ago. And it was so transformational for me to have that time to breathe and to move and to move with my breathing to where I started kind of diving into the world of breath work a little bit more and looking at different forms of breath work. And I really love my favorite is the four, seven, eight breathing where you breathe in through your nose for four seconds, hold it for seven seconds and breathe out for eight seconds. And I do that really throughout my day because I can tell when I'm starting to feel tense. And when I'm starting to feel tense, I go, wait a minute, am I taking deep breaths? <laughs> you know, am I even breathing at all? Or is it just these short, shallow breaths that I take? And so I, that's been really helpful for me to stop and to take those moments, whether I'm in traffic, whether I'm a lot of times it's very helpful if I'm dealing with a cranky child, <laughs> you know, um, I've, I've even taught this to my kids. And one of the things, my six-year-old, it's his favorite thing to do is he puts one hand on his heart, one hand on his tummy, and he breathes in and thinks I am, and he breathes out and thinks, you know, whatever it is that he is loved, um, talented, you know, whatever aff affirmation comes to mind for him. And he really loves that. And my three-year-old doesn't do the breathing as well, but he tries, you know, and it's something that I, I want to instill in them because again, like I was saying, nobody taught me how to manage my stress. Nobody told me how instrumental breathing is. And I had to learn myself. And so I am so glad that's something that you were, where were you 20 years ago? I could have used your help, <laughs> but you know, really like it's, it's been, I, I definitely use breathing all the time. We know there's so many different ways to breathe, too, because people will say, well, my yoga instructor tells me I need to breathe this way. And you yeah. tell me I need to put my hand on my tummy and feel some action down there. And I'm like, you know what? As long as you're slowing that breath down, mm -hmm. that is all that matters. And you made a good point. As long as you're thinking happy thoughts while you're doing that breathing, that helps a lot. Yeah, yeah, it does. And just kind of going into a, that state of rest and digest where we aren't when we are stressed all the time, you know, activating the parasympathetic nervous system is so important, important, especially these days when there's a lot going on at all times. And, and it's scary. And there's a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. And I think that learning how to slow down and find awareness in our body and our breath and our thoughts is so important. Well, you know, really our thoughts are released as brain signals. That's the electrical activity going on in that brain. And thoughts that cause, that are positive, cause generating new synapses in the prefrontal cortex. And that, the prefrontal cortex is in charge. It's in charge of how you think. It's in charge of how you feel. It regulates your emotion. Um, it's the boss. 
Oh, yeah. I love when people talk about the prefrontal cortex because that is new information for me. And I, I love the way that you described that because when we are stuck in those negative thoughts, we're stuck in fight or flight, we can't access the prefrontal cortex, you know, and we, we can't make as good of decisions or make positive connections with other people. And for me growing up, and I didn't realize this until recently since I started working on myself, I had a lot of negative thought patterns that were just repeated over and over again. And I would let them, I would, I would allow myself these negative thoughts at all times, whether it was about how I looked or what I, you know, I'm, I'm a very high overachiever. And so maybe it was, I didn't do well enough on a test, or maybe, you know, I didn't get this role in a play or, or whatever it was, I would allow my thoughts to just wreak havoc instead of taking ownership of them. And that's one thing I recently have been working on with a few of my friends. Actually, they've been my guinea pigs on this and some of my clients. Um, but I came up with the acronym OWN, O-W-N. And it's for me, it's a good way to take those thoughts captive and to take ownership of those thoughts and really figure out what's going on. And so the O stands for observe. Observe is where I will stop myself and go, okay, I'm about to, you know, eat a whole box of Girl Scout cookies or whatever it is, you know, or I just yelled at my kids. I don't know why I yelled at my kids. I'm not really mad at my kids. Or I really am upset over this comment on Facebook and it's causing me to want to respond back all these negative things to this other person. So I observe that and I go, well, that's interesting. What could be behind that? I don't judge myself on that. I'm just observing my thoughts. What could be behind that? And the W stands for what and why. So what is behind that response and why am I thinking that way? And with that, it's like, okay, so I'm either feeling maybe out of control or maybe I'm feeling helpless or maybe I'm feeling um, like a failure or maybe I'm feeling that I'm not good enough. And usually there's a core belief there, right? Like we all have these core beliefs. And for me, there's a core belief that I'm not good enough or I'm a failure or one of those things that's dictating the direction of my thoughts. So the N in this own acronym stands for negating the thoughts. So negating that belief and taking and restoring that negative thought and that lie, that belief that isn't true back to its rightful state. And that is through positive affirmations. A lot of times what I say to myself is you're doing the best you can with what you have. I know it doesn't sound like a lot of an affirmation, but for me, it can really get me through when I'm feeling discouraged or like I'm not doing good enough job. It reassures me that, Hey, I'm doing what I can. Or, um, maybe I'll say something like, you know, I'm living out my purpose. That is really helpful for me. Or maybe I will, you know, quote a scripture verse in my head that has been meaningful for me or whatever it is. I have to negate that belief that, or that lie that is not based on truth with something that is true. And that has been really, really helpful for me, especially recently, because, you know, as we're recording this, we're enduring a time of uncertainty for a lot of people. And I have a lot of friends who are losing jobs and, you know, I'm working from home while my husband is working from home and my daughter is doing online school from home and, and, it, and our schedules have just been switched around and it's really easy to default into negative thinking, into toxic thoughts. And I truly believe that toxic thoughts create toxic digestion. And like you said, it, it sets off a whole chain of events in our body that, that I don't want any part of. And so having a strategy for me, the breathing, you know, the own acronym, something that I can hold on to, um, can really help me when I'm not feeling like I can control a lot. Well, you know, and I, the, you, that own acronym, I really, really like, because every time you start blaming yourself, when something goes wrong, just stop and think about own, you know, yeah. um, and every time you let one thing start to ruin the rest of your day, own. So, and that's so easy and simple to remember. That, I think, could be very valuable to a lot of us. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's so helpful a lot of times also to remember it's, it's most of the time it's not about me either. Right. Like I think so many times we internalize things, um, things that go wrong or things that are happening when really it's not necessarily about us. It's something that's going on with somebody else that's causing them to respond in a certain way. And I mean, we all have prefrontal cortexes that go offline sometimes. Right. So it's, it's a, it's hard to balance that. Well, and I think the hardest thing for, for me sometimes is being present, staying in the moment. You know, sometimes I'll be driving home and I'll pull in the driveway and I'll think, okay, I'm home. I don't know how I got there. It's it, it's just automatic. Yeah. And this I read on the Harvard site, which is one of my favorites, Harvard Health, that 80% of us are either lost in the past or worried about the future. It, the more that we can learn to stay present and being in the now, I can remember I read an article that was in Scientific American Mind, and I'll never forget that because it just really explained to me how having a focus in the present will make you happier and healthier. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's so hard to do. It really is. It's a, it's a muscle you have to have to work out. You know, it's, it's something you have to flex consistently, or I don't think we're going to do it automatically. It's something we have to practice is, is being content and being present in the present. It's really hard. And we do that with our nutritional choices. You know, I'll go in and I, a new rule I have is I don't go to the grocery store hungry. No, <laughs> I'll grab whatever and I'll open that bag on the way home. And even I, and I'm sitting there going this, you know, you're going to be home in 10 minutes. You can open something else and have a healthy snack, but we don't do it. Um, our mind starts wandering off and we start thinking about everything we have to do when we get home. And we and I just chomp my way all the way home. Yes. You know, what's funny. So I've been wondering about this and maybe this, would, maybe you would know more about this than me, but thinking about the vagus nerve, right. And, and there are a lot of things that we can do to stimulate our vagus nerve. And that includes like humming, chanting, different yoga moves can do it. I've wondered if one of the reason that chewing is so calming for people, especially that crunch, that hard crunch that comes from chips or whatever our favorite, you know, processed snack is, if there is some kind of calming the vagus nerve, at work there. And I haven't researched that. It's just kind of something I've thought about recently. I would love to know if there is research on that. Um, but yeah, there is something so comforting about chewing, chewing something crunchy, chewing something that is flavorful or that has been designed to make us want more of it. Right. Like the, the chip bag says you can't have just one. No, it's you. They designed those chips to have as many as you can have and then some more. So, yeah. And but if you are not, you know, taking ownership of those thoughts and if you're letting the stress accumulate, it, it's really hard to make those healthier decisions for sure well you know vagus nerve stimulation it's a medical treatment and what they do is they they deliver electrical impulses to the vagus nerve and this is used as an addiction treatment for certain types so mm. i'm wondering if chewing and that crunch isn't doing some level of stimulation yeah, I really would wonder about that because it, it's, it is so soothing for so many people. They're like, I just want that crunch, you know? <laughs> well, yeah. And some, you know, and, and you can stimulate the vagus nerve by using deep and slow breathing. Yeah. Yeah. Tension singing and humming. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if that doesn't do the same thing. Yeah, well, I'll I'll for sure be looking some stuff up after we get off this call. <laughs> There's a new a new way to look at it for sure, but you know, it's direct the direct connection between nutrition, brain function, and behavior. It exists without any doubt. I don't know about you, my kids are grown, but I I can remember sugar was a neurotoxin for one of mine. The other, mm. not so much. But you, if he had too much sugar, his behavior would yes. change. He would become more aggressive. He would mm -hmm. become louder. Um, so mm -hmm. there's no doubt that connection is there. And yeah. Oh, sorry. Can I just, I'll mention, I, I want to piggyback on that real fast because my middle child is like that. And he, I joke, he becomes the Hulk. 
for sure. Like has very aggressive behavior. And same thing with the artificial dye red 40. If he has anything with red 40, I can expect some extreme moodiness, aggression, rage, really just straight out rage from it. So, um, yeah, I, I am on board with you there and it's funny how it affects some kids, but not others. But not, you know, and I can think back to the birthday parties that we had. No wonder. And I just had the two boys. But no wonder it got so loud and mm. crazy and aggressive. Because what were they? They were eating sugar. They were drinking sugar. I mean, we were just pouring it into them. And I'm honestly, I wished I would have known then what I know now. But I don't think that we as a society really looked at it the same way 20 years ago. Or No. Yeah, I think it's changing. I think for sure there's a growing awareness. And I think that, you know, there there are a lot of things I've seen where European countries have – they don't allow a lot of the things that we allow in our, in our food and, and they don't allow the artificial dyes. They don't allow some of the other things that we allow. And I, there's a movement now, I think for that to change. And some of our food companies have changed a few things. I don't think that they're changing enough, but it's real hard when your child plays sports. Like my son is just getting into sports and we're not yet at the level where they're, you know, bringing them Gatorade and all that kind of thing. But I know that's coming. And I know that Gatorade is loaded with sugar. Um, I know it's loaded with all sorts of other things that are not great for his little brain. And he's, he's sensitive to that. And so that's a hurdle that we're about to be at. And I'm, you know, thinking through, okay, what's the, what's going to be the best way to handle that? Because I think the the place where parents get stuck is, well, wait a minute, every, all the other kids, their parents are allowing it. So if my kid sees that I'm the mean mom, you know, not allowing it. Like now I look like the bad guy and it, it, it's, it's a sticky position to be in. Oh, it is. And you want to be the good mom, not the bad mom. Right. <laughs> because we all, we all do our time being the bad mom. There's, right. <laughs> there's just no way around that. But you know, when kids are young too, I think that relationship with food, because they associate cake with it's my birthday, it's my special mm-hmm. day, or ice cream, or but that whole relationship with food is it starts then. Yeah, and, um, I can remember. You know, if you're allergic to peanuts, you you're excluded from probably at least fifty percent of the snacks that get served at school. Oh, yeah. um, and how how serious that can be. It's just amazing what we've learned because it's, I don't know about you, but I, I grew up eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now some schools, they don't even allow them to be brought to school at all in case, you know, an, another child is around it or, you know, takes a bite out of it or whatever. So yeah, that's, that's really tricky, tricky. But again, going back to, you know, sensitivities, allergies, a, a lot of that is on the rise and it does make me go back to the question of, okay, what is, what is really going on with the processing of our food and the food that we have known and loved forever, how has it changed over the years? And is it really the same as it used to be? What have they done different? You know, because it's really interesting to see that changing. I know my youngest had a pretty extreme dairy sensitivity. And so the whole family, we went off dairy for about a year and a half and he's now, he can have it in some doses, but not much. But it was interesting through that process for me, I found that I don't respond that well to dairy as well. And, you know, again, going back to the diet and the one side, there's no one size fits all. Like we all have these different things and we have to figure out what's going to work best for us. And the way I like to think of it is what is going to nourish me? I don't, you know, even the word healthy, that can mean anything, right? But I like thinking of the phrase nourishment. So what's nourishing me physically through my nutrition? What's nourishing me mentally through my thoughts or physically through my movement? What's nourishing my soul? That's something that I really have to remind myself of. And I try to focus on. Well, you touch on that and and that's my philosophy as well. It's the mind, body, spirit, or soul um, connection. And I think that is just as important in your emotional health as it is in your nutrition. I think that is the building block for everything that we do and to be able to find happiness. You know, you can't just control 
one aspect of your life um, and be healthy. Yes. Yeah. It's, it, it, it involves so much more. Yeah. And it's, well, and that's, you know, where my integrative nutrition background is, we're integrating all of it. And I, I think it's beautiful when we can look at all of those things and put them into balance. I think a lot of change can occur. Well, I think that you're right. And I think that, you know, that's the way I approached my, my, my business. I use psychotherapy, neurotherapy, neurostimulation. I have what I call an eclectic approach. I love that take a little of this and a little of that and a little of this and you put it all together and that's what makes it work. It really does. Mm -hmm. And as you pointed out earlier, we all have to be our own advocate. We, we know our genetic background. We know our life experiences. We know what, what is there more than anybody else does. And we have to pay really close attention to that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and have as many tools in the toolbox as possible. And I love that you offer so many of those tools that are so needed for, for all of us. We're all in this together. We are all in this together. And you know, for, for the, thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. I so much from you and, and I'm going to own it and <laughs> that, but I will give credit. So real quick, if people want to learn more about what you do or how to find you, how would they do that? Yeah, they can find me at my website, uh, www.sparkingwholeness.com or on Instagram, Sparking Wholeness, or at my podcast, Sparking Wholeness with Aaron Carey. That's Carey with a K, K-E-R-R-Y. <laughs> and how often do you do those podcasts? Uh, once a week. I've got one coming out every week. Okay. So if they just wanted to Google search you, they could put in Aaron Carey with a K. Yeah. Yeah. You can find me that way or through sparking wholeness, either one. All right. Well, again, I want to thank you today for sharing your wisdom with us. And I appreciate you taking time out of your day in these crazy times to talk with me. Join me again. And I hope you all understand what's going on in Aaron's head, in your head with Lee Richardson. Mm-hmm.